How's it going, guys? Welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lopes. Join me every Monday as we dive into what it looks like to be men who fall in love with Jesus and help our families do the same. You can learn more about our books, resources, conferences, and even online community by going to dadtired.com. Let's dive into today's episode. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. If you're brand new, welcome. We're glad that you stumbled upon it. We'd love to have you come be part of our community. The best way to do that is by going to dadtire.com. Click that community tab. It will link you over to a closed group that we have on Facebook. We've got over 10,000 guys from around the world who are just like-minded. And speaking of like-minded, I literally just got home 10 minutes ago, not even 10 minutes ago, uh, pulled up to the house and put the headphones on, hit record. Um, I just got back from North Carolina doing a Dad Tired conference there in Apex, North Carolina. We had over 100 Dad Tired guys there um, spending the day talking about what it looks like for the gospel to radically change our hearts, our marriages, our the way we see our work and our kids. Um, it was just a really, really good time. These are These conferences are always like the favorite thing that we do as a ministry. Um, so if one is ever near you, uh, definitely recommend going and checking out. We had some guys, we had two guys um, come from 14 hours away. They drove 14 hours to come be at this conference. <laughs> I didn't even know what to do. I didn't know what to say. I'm like, hey, uh, here's a free book. I didn't like, which just didn't even feel like it was like, <laughs> uh, didn't feel like quite compared, like it didn't compare enough or like, didn't. I, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm jet lagged. Anyway, it just didn't, what's the word I'm looking for? Darn it. It didn't equate. That's not the word, but I guess that is a word that will work. Anyway, 14 hours they drove and uh, we had other guy drive like eight hours and then a bunch of guys drive over a few hours to get there and it's just nuts, man. Um, But anyway, these conferences are amazing. We have one um, coming up next week on the 29th of February. If you're listening to this before that, um, the 29th of February, 2020, and that's going to be in Morris, Iowa. turns out for the last several episodes, uh, I've been calling it Maurice because that's exactly what it looks like, the way you would sound it out if you were to read it. Um, but somebody messaged me and was like, bro, it's, we call it Morris here. Um, and I'm just like, I, whose fault is that? Is that my fault or is that your fault that you guys all in Iowa pronounce your own city wrong? Cause now I feel like we've got a lot of things to talk about. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's a rough start. That's a rough way to start my entrance into Iowa this week. Anyway, I will be flying to Iowa, Morris, Iowa, uh, even though it looks like Maurice, and uh, we'll spend a day there with some guys. So if you're anywhere near, if, I guess if you're within 14-hour drive <laughs> of Morris, Iowa, uh, you should come out here and maybe I'll give you a free book and uh, find something else that like makes sense as a good gift for the sacrifice that you made to be out there. No promises. Um, today we've got a podcast uh, about money, which is always like a real fun topic. Nobody likes to talk about it, but turns out um, most people would say that money is at the top of their list when they're thinking through um, things that cause stress in their own personal life and especially in their married life. And yet it's so rarely talked about. And so today's guest, uh, I actually saw he and his wife, Talit, and his wife at a conference. I met them and I just love their heart and their heart to like point people to Jesus while also talking about money. Um, But anyway, you're going to hear his story. I don't want to spoil it. Um, so yeah, it's a really great interview. I'm excited that you jumped in to listen to this one 
and hopefully it helps you and your wife um, kind of get some traction on the whole money thing because the Lord knows we all stress about that. Anyway, I love you guys. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to meet you in Morris or any of the other conferences that we have coming up. You can check those out at dadtire.com and then click the conferences tab. I love you. Enjoy this interview. I'll talk to you soon. Later. Talit, so glad that you decided to hang out with us today. Uh, for those in our audience who may not be familiar with you, tell us who you are and what you're up to these days. Well, greetings, everyone. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, my name is Talit McNeely. I am one half of His and Her Money. My wife and I have uh, an organization called His and Her Money at hisandhermoney.com where we help couples deal with their marriage, their money, and everything in between. We try to bring a level of knowledge that they may not have in these areas or may not have been given to try to elevate them in their current position to a, a brand new position. So that's what we do uh, seven days a week. Nice, man. Well, I remember meeting you guys at a conference that we both attended uh, late last year, and I was just super drawn to you and to your guys' story. Uh, and you guys ended up sharing uh, for the audience. And I was just like, man, I need to have you guys on our podcast because it, it was just such good information. But uh, before we dive into like all that stuff, I'd love to kind of go back to the start of your story. I remember you, you shared a story about when you were serving overseas. Can you tell our audience that story that you shared with us at the conference? Yeah. So um, for me, I joined the military at 17 years old. Um, I wanted to get out the house kind of explore the world, be out there on my own. I ended up having a 12-year career. One of those years was uh, in Iraq as a part of Operation Iraqi Freedom. And, you know, the thing about combat is that it gives you a whole lot of perspective about life in general because um, you see it come and you see it go. You're putting some very adverse situations and positions um, you're surviving. You're trying to maintain yourself, not only just physically, but mentally. And the, it's just a whole lot that goes into the process. And I was there for 365 days exactly. And it was um, action from start to finish. I was a part of the very beginning of the conflict. And so things were very hot and heavy. And, you know, you learn a lot by going through situations like that. Um, when you come back home, when you deal with things family-wise, even financial-wise, you know, it kind of doesn't seem as big. And so when you are faced with challenges, I think that it's important because I've often referred to that year as the worst year of my life mm -hmm. because there was so much that went into it and there were so much residual effects from it once I came back home. Um, I had to reprogram myself in a whole lot of ways. And so um one of those ways was relationally. Um, I remember having a feeling several years later that it, it dawned on me that I had lost my ability to grieve as a coping mechanism for I lost friends out there. I lost, you know, what I would consider brothers out there. And but you you're just not allowed to stay in that place, because if you stay in that place, then you become vulnerable because you're not as sharp. But what happened was. I got stuck in that place. So even after I came home and I experienced loss um, in my personal life, uh, friends or family here, I noticed that I didn't, I bounced back too fast. And then one day it just dawned on me like, wow, what I need to fix this. And so it's just little nuances like that. But I mean, I, I wouldn't actually change anything about 
my 12 years in the military because so much of who I am today uh, is a direct result of the things that I had to learn, the things that I had to endure um, during those 12 years. And it shaped me. I had to grow up pretty fast. You know what I mean? Like I joined at 17. So I, I basically was raised by the army. I was in the army from ages 17 to 29. So I became a man right there. And um, it shaped me and molded me. And it helped me to deal with the adversities of life that I had to deal with later on. So although it was challenging, there was a whole lot of good that came from it, a whole lot of discipline that came from it, and a whole lot of uh, endurance and wherewithal that came from it. So it, it helped me because I had some challenges uh, financially, relationally that I would have to battle through as a result uh, of my life later on after the military. Yeah. Uh, I know this isn't really the subject that we planned on talking about today, but uh, I'm fascinated when you said that, you know, you, you had to learn how to like grieve again. And there, there was a point when you got back where you realized like, man, that this is something that needs to be fixed or addressed. How did you go about addressing that? So the point that it dawned on me, so I went through it for several years, not really recognizing it. And then what hit me was when I, when my father passed mm-hmm. away and I noticed, I was like, man, I just like, I recovered way too quickly at, according to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, in the moment I was, I felt the sadness, but then, you know, and I'm my only child. And so my mom, you know, I was trying to help her get everything in order and get things situated. And just like I went into that mode and I just never, I don't think, grieved it properly. And I I remember telling my wife, like, there's something wrong with me. I moved on way too quickly. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I like intentionally did anything. I mean, I think the first step was a recognition because for so long I didn't recognize it because it was just a default mechanism, I guess, that I had just developed. And then a good friend of mine, um, several years after that, passed away suddenly. I mean, at 35 years old, he he dropped dead of a heart oh attack. A beautiful wife, four kids. We were both in ministry at our church, and it devastated me. And I was like, oh, this is what it feels like mm. um, to grieve properly. And I, I, I felt all of that one. Um, yeah. And I just recognized that. And I had prayed. That's one of the proactive things that I did was because I didn't feel it, it, I couldn't describe it using any more eloquent wor- yeah, words, yeah. but I just I didn't feel normal. Mm. That's like, God, I don't think this is normal, uh, my grieving process. And I asked for help in that. And it just showed up in that in that moment. Um, and yeah, it's here now. Wow. Um, I feel it now, uh, you know, even with, you know, the recent passing of somebody I don't even know, Kobe Bryant. Yeah. But, you know, I felt like, you know, I, I, I read his book and all this before he passed away. I read his book and I was watching all the interviews. He had really been opening himself up post NBA career. Um, and you got to really know him, the person a little bit mm-hmm. better. And I was just consuming all of it. And then uh, when that happened, it really, I mean, it really hit me hard. Um, so yeah, so I guess I'm normal now. <laughs> <laughs> More normal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How how quickly did you get married after you came back from the military? Or were you married during well, that time? I got, I got married probably smack dab in the, probably about 60% of the way through. So oh, wow. I got out. So I got married in year seven of 12 uh, of my military career, and I was 25. Dang. So you served mm-hmm. for I'm trying to do math, which I'm terrible. What four twelve four but four or five years as a married guy? Yes. Okay. Uh about five exactly. Okay. Yep. 
And when you got back, I remember you sharing that uh, when I met you guys, you remember, I remember sharing that you, you guys had like, you were on different pages when it came to money. Uh, Like talk me through that. What was that like? So here's the thing, man, you got to rewind the clock back a little bit more to when I was coming up, you know, um, the house, I had, you know, two great parents and, you know, all that stuff was awesome. But when it came to like money being spent, my parents were very super duper frugal and, you know, I didn't get anything named brand. I didn't have all the new shoes like my friends did. And so when I got out into the military, had my own money away from home, I went crazy Mm. and I I started buying stuff that I couldn't afford and doing that over and over and over again and ended up in a bunch of debt, ended up with bad credit, had terrible spending habits. And um, here I am about to get engaged several years later to somebody who's completely opposite, who was always debt free, paid her own way through college, no student loan debt. Um, she had great credit score and she had a degree in finance, man. <laughs> so it's like, I'm, I'm about to marry somebody completely the opposite from a financial standpoint. Right. And I was too afraid to tell her the truth of my situation. Mm-hmm. I figured that maybe I can fix the debt. Maybe I can fix the credit, you know, behind the scenes before we get married. And therefore she will never have to know, but God didn't allow that to happen because, you know, he didn't want us to build this thing on a lie. Right. And so I had to tell the truth. I had to confess several weeks before we were to get married and we honestly almost didn't get married because I had lied. It wasn't so much the the money aspect. It was the trust factor. She was like, can I even trust this guy? Like if he kept all this away from me, because I was doing more than hiding. I was lying about it. Yeah. She was asking the right questions and I was lying about the situation. Wow. Yeah. And so it was very devastating. It took a whole lot of prayer and counsel for us to make it through that. And we uh, decided that, yes, we are to be together. This was a mistake. This was a flaw. But it wasn't the totality of who I am and it wasn't going to be the totality of who we were going to be. And um, within the first year of marriage, we got out of all of our consumer. So all that debt that I had racked up over thirty thousand dollars of debt, we got out of it within the first year of our marriage. Then later on, several years later, uh, we decided to go crazy with it. And um, the house that we live in today, when we bought the house, we said we'd never make a minimum payment on it. And we never did. And we also told ourselves that we're not going to wait 30 years to pay this house off. We're going to do it in five and five years from the date exactly that we closed on the house. Uh, my wife and our three kids, we walked into the bank and we made our very last mortgage payment that's, and we are a completely debt free family. That's insane, man. I remember you showing a picture of your whole family together. You have beautiful family and they're just like, you told the story about what it was. One of your little girls or something said something about you. Like yes. what, what was that story? Yep. Every, every time we, we drive up to the house now, um, one of them says, we're driving up to our paid off house. <laughs> and so, you know, just creating that moment for not just my wife and I, but we wanted them to be a part of it. I mean, like my son had on a suit, my girls had on nice dresses. Mm-hmm. I had on nice clothes. My wife had on a nice dress and we made it a big deal because mm-hmm. it was a big deal for the legacy of our last name. That's the way we look at it. It's a huge deal, man. Like how, it, For most guys who are listening to this, they're going to hear that and be like, it's impossible. Like you have to be making millions. Uh, there's no way that any of us can do that. Let's break it down. Let's break it down. Yeah. Let's bring it into perspective. <laughs> so for the fact of the matter is from a numerical standpoint, when we made that declaration, we were not in position to make that declaration. So at one point in our marriage, we were a two income family. But at this point, we were not. My wife after or right before, like just weeks before she gave birth to baby number two, she just had enough. She said, I, I don't want to go back to work. And so um, from that moment till this moment, um, she was stay at home. 
And so we were, while we were paying off our house, we were a one income family and I was in education. Um, so that means that my salary was below $100,000. And so we did this on one sub $100,000 salary and we made it happen even despite not making a million dollars. And to to clarify even more, by the time it was all said and done, everything factored in, we're talking about over $330,000 that was paid. How do you, from a mental mindset, like going from your parents' upbringing, being very frugal to then joining the military and kind of going crazy uh, with consumer debt, uh, how do you like mentally make that shift? Uh, And I hear all the time that like money is a, it's a mental, it's a thinking issue, right? It's not a money issue. It's a thinking issue. Um, but like, how, how did you make the mental shift? Was it, did your wife take the lead on that? Was there something that just like clicked for you? Like, how do you change habits that you established for over a decade? Well, it started prior to marriage. Um, and it started with frustration. Um, I was in the military, so I was working very hard, uh, getting up very early and at the end of the month had nothing to show for it every single month. Mm. And just frustrated by that situation, literally pulling up to the gas station and having to say a little prayer before I stick that debit card in, praying that it goes through Mm. so I can have enough gas to get back home. Now, I am fully employed. (laughs) I am fully employed and struggling. And if you struggle long enough in that scenario, frustration should set in. And it did for me. Now, did that mean that things clicked, as you said? No. I tried and failed. I tried to set up a savings account, but I would drain it. I tried to set up a mutual fund, but I didn't like the up and down and I got out of it. Um, I tried to stop using the credit card, but I kept swiping it. But what I didn't do was give up. So although my initial attempts didn't work, what I was also during this time was consuming information on personal finance. So I was reading books. I was watching television shows. I was reading articles online that had to do with money because nobody had taught me about money. Right. And for most people listening, nobody taught them about money. Right. And so I decided I didn't want to stay in that because you talked about how it's mental first. I didn't want to stay ignorant. And for a lot of us, it's the ignorance that's killing us. If we start to learn about money, we'll see that it ain't as complicated as people have made it out to be. Mm. And there are some very practical things that we can do to enhance and improve our situation. And so I started doing it and failed sometimes and but got back up. I, I, I didn't I drained my savings account and then I tried again and tried again. And eventually when you see a little bit of progress, when you see a little bit of consistency within yourself, it builds on top of it. And so I start to feel good about the situation. If I got rid of um, one type of payment or my furniture, for example, I paid my furniture off. It was good not to have to pay to nobody for this furniture no more. And that right. when you feel good about the situation, you went, okay, well, what else can I do? And so it was a gradual process. I didn't snap my fingers and become who I am today. So I was really in the infancy stages as we were getting married. And so what happened when we got married, we started doing this together. We started reading together. We started watching shows together. We started emailing each other different articles. And we tried some things. We tried to invest in this and try this. And we were doing it. Things that went well, we did it together. Things that didn't go so well, we did it together. And so it didn't feel as bad. It felt like we were trying to build this life, this legacy, and we were going to do it together. And so just over time, the more information I consume, the more things I tried, the more things that worked, even the things that didn't, I learned from it all and kept stacking victories on top of each other. And it felt good the more I kept going in the right direction. 
Yeah, I've got so that's that's amazing. I've got two questions on that. One, the first kind of short, easy question is you, you mentioned a couple of times that you were reading a lot. Do you have like one or two books that you can tell the listeners right now? It's like, oh, you should probably read this to just start your journey of learning more about money. Um, two books that are very different, um, but depending on your personality, you will gravitate toward. Book number one is Dave Ramsey, which everybody knows about, um, and it's called The Total Money Makeover. Mm -hmm. um, you can read that. It has a very practical, systematic approach. And there's another book that has a very practical, systematic approach. Uh, it's called I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. Um, I highly recommend that you get the 2019 version. He wrote it originally in 2009 and updated it in 2019. Um, that's I started with Dave Ramsey because it's a great, easy to understand system for someone who's just trying to get afloat, who's just trying to learn. Um, Ramit's book is, I think, a level you can get to after that. But if you have the personality because Dave Ramsey and Ramit said they have two very different personalities, um, but a lot of similarities. Um, and so depending on who I was talking to, I would be able to say um, which one of those two. But for those listening, read them both and, okay. and take pick one of those two plans and go with it. Yeah, I love that. So for any of you guys listening, uh, if you screenshot this episode right now and just post anywhere on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and tag me in it, uh, and tag his or her money, I'll send you those a copy of each of those books for free uh, to one person. I'll pick one winner uh, to, to get both of those books. Uh, one of the things that you said uh, in the last answer that really stuck out to me is how much you guys were on the same page. Like you're emailing each other back and forth. You're talking about what you're reading. I imagine that for a couple to like actually crush it at this, they've got to be united in this whole journey. And one thing that really stuck out to me when you guys originally shared was how uh, how big of a topic money is, specifically when it comes to divorce. Like at the top of the charts, always it, it falls somewhere within the top three when people talk about getting divorced. Money is up there, and yet it's so very rarely talked about um, within the Christian circles, especially in your experience. Like when it comes to just interacting with couples who have have yet to figure out where they're at with money and really manage their money well. Like how big can you kind of like unveil the curtain or pull back the curtain a little bit and tell us like how big of a problem is this for couples when they're, when they're talking about money and their marriage? Humongous, all caps. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now here's the thing though. I want to clarify on the same page, unity unified in our finances. That does not mean that we see things the same way. My okay. wife and I were different at the beginning of our marriage when it came to money. We are different today. Mm. We just have different outlooks and neither one of them is wrong. That's step one Okay, is that you have to embrace and appreciate the differences. So to put context to it, my wife is a super saver. She finds comfort and security in saving money, um, whether that's um, buying something on sale, literally, or savings accounts. So mm. like. With the, and I'm not exaggerating, we have an emergency fund for our emergency fund. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's my wife. <laughs> okay. That's amazing. Okay. Um, for me, I like to put the money in motion. I'm a bigger risk taker. Um, mm -hmm. I would, instead of having all of these savings accounts, I would rather put the money into the market, put the money into real estate, put the money into entrepreneurial endeavors at a much higher rate than what we do right now. So since we have these two differences, it's not 
me trying to get her to conform to my viewpoint and vice versa. It's us trying to meet in the middle. Mm -hmm. So when you're sitting down with your spouse, um, depending on where they are, because some people do have bad mindsets, they are reckless, they are have bad habits that are leading you all away from your goals. But it also can be an ignorance issue. It could also be a fear issue because it's for men, especially when we don't understand something, when we don't have a grasp on something, we'd rather not deal with it than to look inadequate tend to appear to not have it together. And so sometimes with us, we don't deal with it because it'll expose our lack of knowledge, which is the wrong approach because we just weren't taught this stuff. It's okay. It's actually normal to not know this stuff about money because we didn't learn it in school and most of our parents didn't teach us. But what you need to do is come together with a common unified goal. You should have a picture painted of what you want your life to look like a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. What do you want the legacy of your last name to be when you're gone? Don't you want to be the one, the generation that turned everything around for your family tree? Don't you want to be the one that was the difference maker that took you guys from one level financially to the next? And you were able to then pass that knowledge on to your kids and they were able to build upon the legacy that you started. So the first thing you need to do before you start pulling out calculators, pulling out bank statements is to dream. You need to go somewhere Go on a what we call, my wife and I call a dream date and you need to go out to a fancy restaurant or if, you know, the situation doesn't permit, maybe you got a small kid at home, can't find a babysitter after the baby's sleep. Y'all at the dining room table with a candle lit or whatever, put some uh, smooth jazz on <laughs> and uh, get some pen and paper out. And one at a time, you're going to dream. You're going to ask each other this question. Five years from now, if you had your way. What would our life look like? And so while spouse A is talking, spouse B is writing. Hmm. And here's what you got to remember. By default, one or both of us is going to dream with limits on our brain because we're going to be profoundly aware of our circumstances. We're going to be looking at uh, the amount of kids we have, the amount of salary we have, the amount of bills that we have. And we're going to let that cloud our ability to dream. So you have to dream as though God is bigger than all those things. And God has the ability to grant your prayer request to him. So you have to dream that way. You have to pull down and you might have to help your spouse. Like if you if you sense that their dream is sounds kind of limited or they're making excuses, then you have to break them off and just say, well, let's let's just this is just a dream. Let's act like God can do anything and dream as though God can do anything. And so then when spouse number A or spouse A is done, then you flip. Spouse B starts dreaming and talking and spouse A starts writing and you look at that and you look at the information that's there and then you use the information that's there because that's where you want your life to be five years from now. Now you take a look later on at where we're at today. And the question is, how can we build a roadmap from the place that we are today to the place that we want to be eventually? And that's how you begin to map out a plan and that's how you begin to do the work. And when you do the work, even in those times where it's difficult, where you're tired of sacrificing this and sacrificing that, you're able to look back at the dream that you all wrote and say, this is why we're putting in this work. And that's what my wife and I had to do. It was hard paying off a mortgage, let me tell you. But in those moments where we were frustrated, tired of cutting back and saving and not doing this and not doing that, we had a goal in mind. We wanted to create a legacy of debt freedom, not just for us, but for our kids and hopefully for our grandkids eventually. I love that how practical that advice was. That's su that's super super helpful, and that uh, I imagine takes a couple from like 
holy cow, this is going to be something that causes us to end in divorce versus this is going to be something that unifies us at least towards the same goal. I love that you gave contrasting perspectives there that you guys aren't always on the same page, like down in the details, but in the big picture of things, you guys are on the same page. Um, I guess I just, it's hard for me to imagine like money becoming such a, uh, a big deal or such a conflict, even if you don't have a ton, you don't, you didn't manage this stuff like that, it, that it ends up being the cause of divorce. Like, have you actually seen that? Have you heard stories where people are talking about, I mean, obviously they exist because they're putting them down as statistics, but like, I guess, where does it get to, if you don't do this, how does it get to the point where people are actually breaking off relationships with each other uh, and commitments to each other over money? Yeah, so we've seen it in the if you start pulling out the shovel and you start digging deeper, mm-hmm. um, you'll see that in a lot of instances, things began with unspoken, unmet expectations. So you came in thinking one thing that your spouse was going to be or aspire to be and they weren't, mm-hmm. but you didn't necessarily say anything about it. You just kind of ate it, and dealt with it, but it kept building. And then you got frustrated about their spending habits. And then you got frustrated by the fact that they uh, lowered over the finances and don't involve you. But Mm. you still didn't say anything about it. And if you did say anything about it, you got into an argument and it left a sore spot that you was like, forget it. I'm going to do my thing and you do your thing. And Mm. then separation starts to build real slowly and y'all start drifting apart. So by the end of the when you get to that place of, of being in divorce court, it may not look like money was the final fruit. But if you start peeling back the layers, you'll see that there were some um, things going on behind the scenes that just were never dealt with. In a lot of instances, it is financial because you can look at, think about all the exposure to imagery and philosophy that we have via just our cell phones, right? Mm -hmm. Your friends, social media posts, this vacation, this car, this house. And you look at your situation like, I ain't got none of that. And then you look at, even if it's not people in your own circle of influence, you look at so celebrities, you look at the people on the TVs and you look at even the influencers online um, and you see a life that you don't have. And then you project that onto your spouse. You're the reason. Hmm. No, you're the reason. Hmm. Why don't you make more? Well, why don't you go get a job too? Hmm. And little foxes start to erode away at the covenant bond that you all established when um, it was said that it was going to be for better, for worse. But, you know, now at this moment, because so much has transpired, because so much frustration has built up that I didn't deal with in the moment, I let it crystallize. Now my heart's cold. And then a cold heart manifests in other ways that go beyond the finances. But in a lot of instances, that money, it had a big part to play with it. Yep. There's a lot of wisdom in that, man. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I guess for some, for some people, you know, one thing that I think about is a lot of Christian circles don't really talk about money because it's just such this fine line between like wanting to be wise with money versus starting to feel like you're getting greedy with money. Um, where do you like, so that 
one thing I always say is I don't want to just give advice so that you could hear this on like a some from a completely secular perspective. But as people who love Jesus and who are trying to follow the ways of Jesus and be disciples of Christ and see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, like how does money fit into all that from a Christian perspective? Because you just said on earth as it is in heaven. So the reason people don't talk about it in church is because so many have talked about money in the church incorrectly with wrong Mm -hmm. motives. And so that has brought about a fear that if I talk about money in church, I'm going to be lumped in with them, Yeah, which is the devil loves that. Because if we stay afraid to have a healthy discussion, because there are thousands of verses in the Bible that talk about money. Mm -hmm. So why are there not thousands of churches that want to talk about money? Mm -hmm. The thing that we have to keep in mind is on earth as it is in heaven. The things that we want to do on earth to advance the kingdom are going to require money. Mm-hmm. Let's just be practical. Let's not be deep. Church that wants to plant another church is going to need money. A church or an individual that wants to send Bibles to a land where people are persecuted for their faith those Bibles, that postage is going to cost money. If you want to eradicate poverty, if you want to feed the homeless, it's going to cost money. And we have to position ourselves as individual believers to meet needs. Mm -hmm. Why do we we want to only pray? Why do we only want to have faith? Why do we only want to talk about doing good, create a program or a Saturday event, even if something as simple as a neighborhood cookout, we're going to cook mm-hmm. hot dogs for the local mm-hmm. community. Guess what? Those hot dogs cost money. Mm-hmm. And so we need to have healthy discussions about money in the church because we want to bring heaven to earth. Mm-hmm. We want people to experience Jesus here. We don't want them to only have to experience him in heaven because we're called to do that kingdom work on the earth and the kingdom work that we need to do on the earth because all these people who dedicate themselves to full-time ministry, quote unquote, full-time ministry, they have families. And Mm -hmm. so they're going to require salaries and healthcare and all that stuff costs money. So if you are kingdom minded, there needs to be a discussion around your part that you play in the kingdom advancement. If you think about the book of Nehemiah, did Nehemiah go back to Jerusalem and build the wall himself? No, it In that book, you'll see that it says that each household built, rebuilt the part of the wall that was in their quote unquote backyard. That means everybody played a small part in a very big kingdom advancement project. And the same is true today. If we can all get in our position, just think about it. Those that are listening, just close your eyes for a second and think about it. If all the members, the congregants of your local church were out of debt, how much more kingdom advancement could that one church do in that That's one community? Now, word, all of us were in that position where we did what the Bible says, because the Bible says that the borrower is slave to the lender, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine if we all got out of slavery, we all got out of debt. Now imagine the type of work we can do in the kingdom for the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel, for God's glory. It's going to take money, too, and we need to do our part to rebuild the part of the wall that's in our own backyards. That is a good word, man. I love, love, love that your answer to that question was really at the heart of it, generosity. In order to be generous people of God who give 
well and who love well like we, it just is practically going to involve money obviously that's not always the case but for the most part that is the case and my wife and i talk about this all the time like we want to use every tool that we have time money resources stuff like all of it for the glory of god and uh, yeah i think people would just have to have their head in the sand to say that money is just, you know it's just this tool uh, this tool for greed and how often we hear the the verse or people misquote the verse that says money is the root of all evil, which is not at all what it says. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. But uh, I love the, I love the fact that your heart behind that answer is generosity and to see God's kingdom come. Um, I love that, man. That was such a great answer. Um, Practically for somebody that's listening, it's like, all right, man, I've, I have, I've never been taught this stuff. I don't know where I'm at. Like I I don't even, it feels like I'm always going to be living paycheck to paycheck. I can't even imagine having a legacy. Like where do they start today? Uh, belief. Number one, that's not practical yet. I know, but it it is a practical step because you have to believe that it can change. When my journey started, I had a 500 credit score. I had $30,000 of debt. And I didn't know a thing about personal finance. And today I have, my credit score is over 800. I have zero debt, including a paid off house. And I know a whole lot about money. So the journey starts with one belief. Two, you need to build your knowledge base because the more you learn, as I mentioned earlier, you realize that a lot of the things that you need to do are very doable. And it's not some lofty thing that is for the 1% of the world. There are some very practical things that you can do. So after you start reading, you need to get organized. Now, that looks like you need to know how much debt are you in. A lot of people have their head in the sand and have an estimated amount that they think they're in. Um, But you need to know the truth of your situation. And you need to come up with a plan after you get the information. You need to call these creditors and say, what's my balance? What's my monthly payment? What's my um, interest rate? What's my um, due date each month? And you need to take that, put it on a spreadsheet for everybody that you owe. And then we suggest that you pay those people back from smallest balance to largest balance. Another area that you need to look at to go along with you trying to look at how much debt you're in and your current financial situation is you need to know your credit situation. And I think we are very um, ignorant to the fact of how important credit is because a lot of us think that uh, credit is only when I want to buy a house or a car. No, employers are checking your credit. Insurance Mm -hmm. companies are checking your credit. Utility companies are checking your credit. Cell phone companies are checking your credit and they're judging you based on what they see there. And they're charging you higher rates based on what they see there. And so Mm -hmm. it's important that you know what's going on there, that they're not the only ones looking at your credit, but that you have a handle on it too. A great free resource for that is annualcreditreport.com. And then lastly, you need to get on a budget. I know nobody wants to hear that. We all know that, but very few of us are actually doing that. Research shows that 78% of households are living paycheck to paycheck. And another study shows that 34% of households are living on a detailed budget. So if you put that together, that's almost 100%. And the story that's being told by two separate studies is that the people who live on a budget are not the people living paycheck to paycheck. So you got to ask yourself which category you want to be in. And if you don't want to be in the 78%, then you need to get over there and start doing your budget and living on it, living by it and talk, communicate, over communicate about money, your fears, what you understand, what you don't understand, your goals, your aspirations, your dreams, put it together in a plan. And even when you make mistakes, keep moving forward. Do not stay down. Keep getting up and keep trying again 
until you get some consistency under your belt and you will start to feel better about your situation and your legacy will begin to be formed in a brand new positive way. Yeah. And I I imagine there's a lot of like need for like-minded people around you who are pushing you towards this. Cause the fact is with what you just said, you got like 78% of the population who doesn't really know what they're talking about when it comes to money. And uh, so you need to be around, you know, the, the minority group there and just people who are like actually thinking through this stuff and trying to be wise with money. So I know you didn't come on our show to plug any of your stuff, but I want you to, cause I know that you've got a community and you've got resources that are actually helping people. So give us a plug, man. What do you have going on? All right, cool. So specifically uh, for marriage, um, we because there are no platforms teaching us about money coming up and we didn't learn from our parents. My wife and I created an online university that talks about not only personal finance, but how personal finance works effectively inside the confines of marriage. And it's called Power Couples University. It's at PowerCouplesUniversity.com. You can find all the details there, we are helping a lot of couples get on the same page financially, and they are creating legacies that's going to last forever and ever. So we love to help you do that as well. Also, we have a show, a podcast called the His and Her Money Show. If you you know search that on any of your podcast platforms, you will find us. Uh, we present interviews from financial experts, marriage experts, and we also share people come on and share their journeys to debt freedom, how they were able to do it. Because it's one thing to hear about my wife and I's journey to debt freedom, but how about hundreds of other people? And the more you listen to that, the more you realize that you can do it too. Because for a lot of people, they think their situation is unique and impossible to overcome. And so that's why we just continue to showcase hundreds of couples and individuals who have done even more than what you're up against and paying off debt so you can be motivated to start your journey as well. That's awesome, man. I love that. Uh, I know you ha- you're helping a ton of families and you've got a ton of great resources. You also mentioned before that just for the dad tired listeners, you're going to hook up a promo code. Uh, tell us about that. Yep. For the listeners of this awesome show, you can get 10% off of Power Couples University just by using the code DAD tired when you check out that'll give you 10% off again that's, that's amazing add tired use that as the promo code when you check out and you'll get 10% off we'll see you there that's amazing man I appreciate that uh let's just end here uh for the guy that's listening that uh you know he's like I hear it I hear their stories I know that's everybody else's story but I don't think it's going to be my story like I'm probably always going to be stuck in the cycle I guess let's get to the heart of that like what's at stake here What's at stake for the guy who's not going to put this into practice and who's just going to continue to live paycheck to paycheck and never really get his finances in order? What What is he going to lose or have the potential of losing out? Well, your legacy is on the line. That's why you have to think beyond your first name and you have to start to think about your last name. Everything that you do or that you don't do is going to have a direct impact on the legacy of your last name. I was there. I'm not speaking from um, a mountaintop looking down on you. I still am well acquainted. I think God makes sure that I'm still well acquainted with the pain and the frustration around financial stress. I remember my first goal was this simple. Lord, I want to be able to pull up to the gas station and not be concerned with how much the pump is. I want to be able to fill up my car stress-free. It was that small. And then my goals start to change and get bigger and get wider. And you first have to, as I've already stated, know that 
There's nothing impossible for God, not even your situation. If you surrender fully and submit to the process, you will come out on the other side victorious. I am literally living proof. Your situation and my situation, your mentality today was the mentality I had back then. But it has changed now because I got to the point of frustration frustration, and I want it better. And when I want it better, I try to do better. And the more I try, the better I became. So just try and try again and believe and believe again and you will get there. Love, man. Thank you so much, Talit, for hanging out with us today and uh, sharing your wisdom with us, man. I'm looking forward to uh, checking out the podcast and learning more. Thank you again, bro. Thanks for having me. I love your show. I love the work that you and your wife do. And I want you to keep moving forward, man. We need this content. 